Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Section 7 of the True Stories Celebrated Crimes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ken Kowalik. The True Stories of Celebrated Crimes by George Barton. Chief Kelly and the Deserted House. Francis R. Kelly, regarded as the most celebrated bank detective in America won his spurs in quite another field of criminal investigation. It was while in the government secret service that he engaged in the adventure which is related in this article. Prior to his struggle with the moonshiners, he was in the police department of Philadelphia and for some time served as chief of detectives in the Quaker City. After leaving the government service, he became the bank detective for the financial district of Philadelphia, and there he can be seen every day rain or shine, guarding the institutions which shelter assets conservatively valued at over $350 million. On the 8th of April, 1874, Francis R. Kelly was granted leave of absence from the Philadelphia Police Force and directed to report to James J. Brooks, at the time prominent as a detective in the United States Secret Service. The purpose of his assignment was kept a profound secret. By appointment, he met Detective Brooks at the Pennsylvania Railroad Station in Philadelphia, and when he started not even the members of his family knew his destination or the purpose of his journey. When Kelly met Brooks at the gate leading to the train, he handed him a ticket to New Orleans by way of the Great Jackson Route. A word of preface may help to explain how Kelly came to receive this assignment, which was to prove one of the most dangerous and important in his whole professional career. While he was a police officer in the 22nd Police District of Philadelphia, he was going to his home early one morning in January 1874, and passing a big distillery on 20th Street above Burke's, he was accosted by a voice which whispered huskily, Is that you, Joe? It was so dark and foggy that a person could hardly see his face before him. But on the impulse of the moment, Kelly replied, Yes, and then halted to await developments. Presently, a two-horse team, filled with illicit liquor which had been distilled in the factory, started out of the place. Kelly jumped into the wagon and pulled a pistol on the driver and directed him to go to a certain point in the city, which happened to be the police station. There he was placed under arrest. The seizure of this distillery and the arrest of the government storekeeper and his conviction which followed was the means of bringing Frank Kelly before the notice of his superior officers, both in Philadelphia and Washington. 
The sequel was this mysterious assignment, which began at the Broad Street Station in Philadelphia. After they had fairly started on their journey, Mr. Brooks joined Kelly in the car and introduced him to the two other men, one being Alfred Brooks, his son, and the other John Mitchell, another Secret Service operative. Mr. Brooks explained the mission to the party in a few words. A short time before, President Grant, Simon Cameron, and Alexander P. Tutton, who was then Supervisor of Internal Revenue for Pennsylvania, had a conference at the White House concerning the operations of the Whiskey Ring, which had become a national scandal and was so powerful that the government was being robbed of millions of dollars. General Grant, who was deeply interested in probing the matter to the bottom, leaned over his desk and, with the inevitable stump of a cigar between his set teeth, announced his purpose of transferring all supervisors of internal revenue in every section of the country. Mr. Tutton at this point expressed a doubt concerning the wisdom of such action. He said it would be the means of punishing many good officers and would not be just. General Grant took a fresh grip on his cigar and said, What am I to do then? Mr. Tutton replied, Find out the identity of the crooked distillers and the government officers who are shielding them and punish both. It was suggested to the President that Detective James J. Brooks was a safe man to entrust with an important work of this character, and that he could get Detective Frank Kelly to assist him. The President replied immediately, I will do as you advise. We will take Brooks and Kelly. This explains why Detective Kelly, Detective Brooks, his son, and John Mitchell were bound for New Orleans on the 8th day of April in 1874. In his pocket, Mr. Kelly carried a letter from Secretary of War Belknap to the Commandant of the Garrison at New Orleans, directing him to furnish the bearer, Frank Kelly, at a moment's notice, such a number of soldiers as he should call for. This communication was significant. It indicated very clearly that they were to act alone and without the aid, assistance, or knowledge of any of the government officials connected with the revenue at New Orleans. They began work almost immediately upon their arrival in the Crescent City. They separated in order not to create any suspicion, but every night they met Mr. Brooks for report and instructions. All of the big distilleries in the neighborhood of New Orleans were shadowed. The proprietors closely watched, and a never-failing tab kept upon every one of the government officials connected with the revenue. There was fine detective work to be done both day and night. It lasted for many weeks, and when the climax came, and the results were accomplished in a single night, the entire country was startled by the denouement. The establishment on which the greatest amount of suspicion was directed was a big distillery on the other side of the river. But while the detectives were morally certain that an illicit business was being conducted there, they were without positive evidence upon which they could proceed legally. For the purpose of this article, the place shall be known as the Big Ben. It was guarded day and night by armed men and any strange person coming within firing distance placed his life in jeopardy. The problem was to catch the promoters of the concern red-handed, to find them in the very act of distilling and shipping illicit liquor. The first move towards this end was to smuggle several Secret Service men into the inside. They secured employment in the establishment and thus kept tab on all of the queer happenings of the place. This was only the beginning. The next most important step was to arrange a plan of signals by which the United States officers could be guided in the making their aid. There was a deserted house on the side of the river where the distillery was located and it was decided to make use of this as a signal station. 
One of the detectives was supplied with a large lantern and provided with a key to the house. On the first night that the conditions were favorable, he was to go into the third-story front room of the house and place the lighted lantern in a position in the window where it could be seen on the other side of the river. Night after night, Detective Kelly waited on the New Orleans side of the river for the signal from the deserted house. And night after night, he was confronted by great banks of heavy, impenetrable fog. Finally, one night after patience had almost ceased to be a virtue, a bright white spot appeared from out of the gloom. It was a lantern in the deserted house. Kelly pulled out a whistle and summoned his men at once. They responded with alacrity, and in a few minutes were in a big flat boat that had been kept on hand for the purpose. There had been heavy floods in that section of the south, and the Mississippi River was swollen to an abnormal size. The Secret Service men, armed to the teeth, entered the boat in a few seconds. The colored men who were to do the rowing showed some hesitation. "'Come on, you rascals!' shouted Kelly. "'Get in that boat and get to work!' Something in the commanding tone of the man's voice made them feel that mutiny would be suicide. "'It looks mighty dangerous, boss.' muttered the chief oarsman. That's why the boys are so slow. It is mighty dangerous, retorted Kelly. That's why I want the boys to be quick. They started off with a will, the turbulent waters dashing over the sides of the boat and splashing the faces of passengers. Kelly fully realized the peril of crossing the river on such a bad night, but his fears, if he had any, were kept quietly locked in his own breast. A second boat followed immediately after the first, in it was a detail of soldiers under the command of a commissioned officer, and these were all subject to the orders of Detectives Kelly and Brooks. Kelly was in the first boat, and he encouraged the lusty oarsmen to do their best. They worked like Trojans. At times it looked as if the rickety boat might capsize and throw them all to the bottom of the muddy stream. All were alarmed. To add to the terror of the waters, it became so dark at times that the oarsmen could scarcely